Hi, everyone. You're listening to Canada Horse Podcast, and we're your hosts, Nikki Porter and Nadine Smith. We strive to enhance the lives of horse owners by facilitating conversations that make people want to talk. It is our passion for horses and continuous learning that is the driving force behind the conversations here on Canada Horse Podcast. We believe in education over judgment and informed choices over following the crowd. As equestrians, it's important for us to know the whys behind the decisions we make for both ourselves and our horses. I know you probably don't want me calling you every day like I have so far, <laughs> but but what does ideal communication look like for you as a trainer and what's typical? I think it depends on the individual. I really don't mind you calling me every day. <laughs> I think it really depends on the owner. Like when my horse was away at Rubens, I didn't really mind if I didn't hear from him for a while, whatever. If I wanted to know, I could just shoot him off a text. But I think that's a real individual preference. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think from your point of view? Hello, this is episode 52 of Canada Horse Podcast. Our guest today is someone we know well, and we're really looking forward to having some time to sit down and pick his brain about the relationships between owners and trainers. We have had a couple of different trainers on the podcast speaking about performance horse training programs and different types of training and coaching scenarios. So if you're looking for that sort of thing, you can find our episodes with Jim Greendike and Lindsay Hayes Kofel. Today, we want to get specific about what you should consider when you're looking for a trainer and the sorts of communication and the care you should expect. Also, some questions that you might want to ask. Yeah, so I feel like this conversation is going to feel pretty familiar But we're about to speak with a trainer, coach, and friend, Dan Northrup. And Dan grew up with horses in New Brunswick and spent a lot of time successfully showing in AQHA shows locally before moving to Texas to work with professional horseman Alex Ross, who has been very involved with the AQHA, serving as a senior director of judges and stewards for 13 years. During that time, Dan was introduced to reining, which has led him to now having owned and trained some exceptional quarter horses. Dan, I know that I just kind of tried to explain your life with horses in a couple sentences, but let's just get you in on this conversation so we can hear about your experiences directly. One of the reasons Nadine and I thought this was a great episode for you to come on was we love the fact that you have been on both sides here. You have had horses in for training and you also train. And so I'm sure those experiences have shaped what you offer here on, on the East Coast. So if you could just let us know what your experience with training, having horses go off for training and all that jazz. Well, I spent lots of time training for the public. So I definitely have you know, some experiences to share that way. Also, we had horses with Ruben Vandorp, uh, some reigning horses in Texas. So it was interesting to experience it from the other point of view. It was the first time that I'd experienced that, but we had horses with Ruben for about four years. So we had ample opportunity to, you know, get our feet wet from the other side of the coin, so to speak. Um, And it definitely gives you uh, a more rounded look at the whole dynamic 
you know, just with horse and training, period, right? You know, from both points of view. <clears throat> I had a rainer that I had purchased and I had followed Ruben, contacted him, said, look, you know, I have this mare, I'd like you to ride her, you know, kind of assess where you think she's at, um, you know, what her potential is, kind of discuss what I wanted to do with her. And um, as it turned out, I, I kind of, in my gut, thought she wasn't the right horse, but Ruben confirmed my suspicions when she got there. So we sold her and then uh, we bought a two-year-old from Ruben and ended up going the, like the uh, fraternity route, which kind of happened almost by default. We really didn't plan on doing that initially, but I really enjoyed the experience from an owner's perspective because for me, it was just, I just wanted to enjoy the experience. Just, it was fun and really there was no pressure. And it also gave me the opportunity to go down and spend bit, quite a bit of time there and ride and learn lots and uh, just experience that atmosphere at that level. So uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Okay. So let's just kind of dive right in there. You mentioned that it just felt low pressure when you had the horse there with the trainer, you know, hundreds of miles away. And so I think that that's one scenario where you have a horse somewhere in training where you don't have the opportunity to just go ride it whenever you want. You don't have the opportunity to go see it even once a week. You know. No, that part did not bother me at all. I think, you know, the thing is, is I felt good about the Van Dorps. Mm-hmm. I trusted them and like Ruben and Melissa a lot and uh, valued your, their opinion and trusted the program. So I didn't really have any issue that way. I did go down a lot and ride, probably more than they wanted me there, <laughs> to tell you the truth. But anyways, so I did go, you know, I would spend, you know, two or three weeks, even a month there and, and just ride. So I was there a lot and I didn't worry about what the horse was doing when I wasn't there because basically I bought into the program because I felt good about it. Okay. You also said that when you first spoke with Ruben, you sent him a mare and you said you had suspicions she wasn't the right horse. Now that is an indication that you had a very clear idea of why you were sending this horse to training and you had an idea of what you wanted out of the training process. So what do you mean by she wasn't the right horse? Why did you have to sell her in order to get a horse that essentially was the right horse? What was the right thing? Well, the thing about her was mentally, she just wasn't a good fit for the reigning. You know, she went on, I think they ended up doing like Western dressage with her, which you can be a little closer to them and manage them a little bit more than like a reiner running a circle. And that suited her better. And I felt that like I wrote her here and I felt that in her. And that speaks to your trust in him, right? And so, you know, I, I'm sure you had an opportunity to to meet a lot of different trainers down there, a lot of and like reigning trainers down there. So you don't have to specifically say why you chose Ruben over anybody else. But in terms of figuring out what you wanted in a trainer, like mm-hmm. there are a dime a dozen in Texas. Yeah. So- why well, why pick one over the other, I guess? Honestly, what drew me to Ruben originally was we are a little bit removed from that situation down there. But <clears throat> luckily now with the internet and, uh, you know, there's a lot of videos posted and I'm a, 
YouTube junkie and I'm always on trying to learn something new and then watch all kinds of videos, uh, both horses for sale and, you know, maybe horses that guys have in training and they're demonstrating how the horse is doing or whatever. And what I saw in Ruben was a consistency in how the horses performed their maneuvers. There was a definite style to the horses that he rode. They weren't all identical, but you could tell that he put his signature on how the horses performed. To me, the consistency in that showed that, you know, he must have a pretty good program for them all to look somewhat similar in their own way, if you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. Thinking of your experience on the client side of things versus the experience of someone who is sending their horse to a local trainer here in the Maritimes, that's a completely different experience. Uh, And some people want to have that experience of owning a horse, sending it to the States or uh, another trainer in Canada that they have the opportunity to be the owner only. They're not showing the horse. They're not looking even necessarily in that those younger years to sit on the horse. They're just looking at developing that horse in someone else's hands and being a show horse owner. What was that experience like for you where you actually are here and offering a training service, but such a different training service here. Well, my goal really with Ruben, and I had this conversation with him when we started, I said, look, I want to enjoy the journey. I want to win, no question. But if we don't, I'm not going to be walking around the showgrounds, kicking the dirt with my head down Mm -hmm. because I just wanted to go and have fun. I wanted to be competitive and I wanted to, you know, I wanted anybody that was participating in, you know, the outcome of how the horse did to try as hard as they could and definitely be interested. But to me, it was more about the journey. Um, And we had that conversation and that fit well with them too, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, Not all owners are like that, but to me, I mean, I had a blast. I really did. We did well. We could have done better. We had a couple of things that happened that were beyond anybody's control, but still we had a blast and I'd do it again in a second. I'm still on trusting the trainer (laughs) 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 because that's where I, I guess like it's very recent for me and we, you know, Dan, we just talked about this not too long ago about like sending horses to trainers, but more about like the different scenarios of like full training or, or part. And yeah, you know, you were one of the people in our minds where we were like, you know, Dan is always open to learning more. He's always like going off and riding with other professionals and learning different aspects of the business and open to potentially changing ways that you may have been doing in a, for a while. And that's and what my- keeps, keeps me in the game. Honestly, if yeah. it wasn't for that, I would get bored and I would go do something that was way less work. But to me, <laughs> Honestly, I can say there's still nothing I would rather do than ride a horse. Uh, and, and and no, and that's the truth. And to ride a horse, and it's not always the easy, actually, it's usually not the easy ones that are the most uh, fun or that you get the most reward from. It's the ones that maybe are a little difficult. And then if you can engage your own mind and try to put that jigsaw puzzle together, and you have a positive outcome, 
That's what keeps me going. That's what makes it fun. So, I mean, passion is one thing. Like you can see that in a person like yourself who who cares and is so passionate about the horse. And it's not just like about making money and turning another horse and how many horses can we get in the barn and stuff. So that's one you can see that. Like if you go to somebody's training barn, you know what you're looking at there, right? You can hear yep. it in your voice. Yeah. Do you think you could tell us any like red flags of like if you spoke to a trainer on the phone or you went into their barn that you would be like, yeah, you might want to call around and check out. Another well, I, yeah, Nikki and I had this conversation briefly yesterday, I think. But, you know, to me, the very first thing is, you know, your values have to align and there's lots of different ways to get to the same result. But you got to feel good about the road you choose and how to get there. And uh, I'd have to say, like Ruben, he's he does a good job. Um, he's very fair to the horses and he won't go to the point that I don't want to go either to try to make something work that maybe it's better suited to ruin will just say look you know i think you know we need need a different horse mm -hmm. if it was me i i mean i would observe if i went to pick a trainer nikki had and i had this discussion i would just kind of go incognito around the horse shows and i'd go watch in school um like at night and just sit there and watch how they train their horses when they don't really think anybody's watching get to meet them, see what their personality is like. You got to feel good about the group you're with too. Like it's not just the trainer. It's like Melissa, Ruben's wife is, I'm going to say she's more than 50% of the equation. <laughs> <laughs> she really helps make the thing work and she makes it, makes it fun. And it's, it's a team that way. And, and, you know, right from when we were there, right from Ruben to Melissa to, like the guys that work for them, they were all very compatible and, you know, they were like-minded and I felt good about the group that I was with. So that would be the big thing. I want to be with like-minded people and that share the same values for what we're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. So, and, and that mainly is, you know, we want to do the best we can do, but still, you know, you got to be fair to the horse and we've got to be willing to admit, okay, well, this one, maybe he's better suited to do something else, which I don't have any problem with that. So, you know, I knew that going in, which is kind of how we started. I sent one down and she wasn't suited for what we wanted to do. So we sold her to somebody else that did a different uh, sport with her. Mm -hmm. In looking at finding a trainer, your advice would be to watch them without going around and being like, I'm looking for a trainer, but just to sit back and observe and make sure that, you know, when they have the integrity that you would hope that they would have when you're not at the burn and you're not the one that's going and, and uh, watching when, every when, single ride yeah, yeah. that they're going to show up the when way. When there's they're... nothing in it for them, mm -hmm. to me, that's when you see really who they mm -hmm. are. Along with that, though, you know, if it's somebody that just has an unlimited amount of money and all they want to do is win, mm -hmm. um, that's a whole different scenario. Right. So, Right. Yeah, because as you were speaking, I got the opinion that maybe some owners want to push harder and then the trainers are left in a bit of a, a well, hard I think situation. That's, that's a good point, Nadine. I, I think that's where my perspective from the other side helped. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it's a living, breathing thing. They're not robots. Sometimes thing didn't, things didn't go as well as they could have, but 
I totally understood. Like, you know, you do your work at home, you do the best you can do, you go to the horse show. And I never, Ruben and I never had a crossword over how things went in the show pen or, you know, I was more interested in, you know, being supportive. I enjoyed that part too. Like, because there are owners that aren't like that at all. And that's okay too, because they had different goals. Mm -hmm. But I just wanted to enjoy the, you know, the whole journey and the relationships that we made along the way and uh, what we could learn while we were doing it. So if that's kind of what you want to do, that's what looking through my eyes from what I experienced, I would go around to the horse shows and just watch how they ride when, you know, you're nobody's really looking or if they're schooling and, you know, they don't really think that you're paying attention, not that they do anything different when, when you're watching, when you won't, but, and, and get a chance to meet them when there's nothing in it for them. So to me, that's when you really get to meet the real person. And the other thing is if you have contacts, uh, not necessarily even in that industry, but contacts in the area that know, you know, who a good mat for you would be and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. which we were lucky enough to have some people down there from previous relationships that that was a help. So do you think the same thing goes for here for in the Maritimes or in Eastern Canada? Like how does that translate to finding a trainer locally where you are? Yeah, I think the same holds true. You have to have, you know, you both have to have common values and your goals should be the same for the horse. And, you know, if, if the person that sends a horse for training is, is uh, actually going to be doing the showing. So if you're with a trainer that all they care about is winning and, you know, you're not so much that way, that may or may not work. Like if you, if you're, all you care about is winning and the trainer isn't as passionate about that outcome as you are, that won't work either. So I guess it's really, to me, it's just getting with like-minded people that have common values. Yeah. I and think- I'm not saying one's right or one's wrong at all. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, yeah, I think here in the Maritimes, we also have the factor of there's the different scenarios. Like, for instance, my horse, full transparency, my horse is with Dan right now. So there were different factors in that played a, a role in my horse going to Dan's facility for for you, Dan, to ride him for the month while I'm in Florida. And it's interesting because I had this conversation with somebody recently because all of our horses from when Mike and I started dating and before I even met Mike, all of his horses would go to Sophie in Quebec for reining training. So all of his penning and sorting horses went for reining training because he wanted his horses more broke. And someone asked me recently, why is your horse not being sent to Sophie? And I said, I'm really glad you asked that question because if Mike got another horse right now, he has that relationship, longstanding relationship with Sophie that if she had a spot, he probably would have to take that into consideration and say like, I think my horse might have to go down the road out of respect for a long-standing relationship. And he and I have had the conversation around what are my needs as a competitor and as a horse owner and what, what services Dan do you offer that can help me as a competitor year round? Do I trust Sophie's training and do I enjoy Sophie's training? She was actually the first person that 
that had me invested in reigning in the first place. Nadine and I went to the clinic together and mm-hmm. we went to this Sophie clinic and I was like, I am selling my cow pony for a reiner. This was amazing. And so <laughs> I had this relationship with Sophie, but when I look at the larger picture, I also have really enjoyed our time together, Dan, and you offer a, a experience that has this support at the shows that I that I not only need as a competitor, but also really enjoy and talking about the, um, you know, being with like-minded people and having that team. Um, it's been a really cool experience. And I love the idea that I'm two, not less than two hours away from you and I can go and ride my horse on, you know, an off chance that I have a day off. If my horse was in Quebec right now, I wouldn't be able to do that. So that those factors all play a part in choosing a trainer here in the Maritimes. Well, I guess in your situation too, Nikki, it's nice that to me, what we do, we have a group that we travel with. Mm -hmm. And again, I hate to keep beating the same story, but (laughs) it goes back to the journey. We have fun from the time we leave the burn till the time we get home. Mm -hmm. And so it's not like really when you think about it and tell me if I'm right or wrong, Nikki, like when we go to a show, the time spent in the show ring is a very small part of the horse show experience. It truly is. And coming from a competitive background, it kind of makes me reflect on what my past competitive experiences were with a trainer versus now I really enjoyed my time, but it was high pressure and it wasn't that same team feeling. I mean, I had my parents at, at the in gate with me cause I was a child, but you promote that. And as an adult now, it's really interesting to see the value in that. So it's, that is definitely a bonus uh, when we're looking for trainers and saying like, what, what are they able to offer me, whether it be location, whether it be the support they can offer at the horse shows. I love that I can call you and say, Dan, I'm going to this horse show on this weekend. Or for instance, I said, Dan, I'm going to the Matt Hudson clinic first weekend of April. Guess you have plans too that weekend. (laughs) And you were like, okay, sounds good. Um, that's a great relationship to have. It's not one that every person can have with every trainer because not everyone has that ability to do that. Those are the questions that people can ask and say, like, you know, if I was going to a show this summer, what kind of support could I receive from you? If you have my horse in for training right now, how does that translate to the show season? I think there's different types of horses we get for training. So one is a horse, what I call a horse show horse. And that would be like Nikki or you, Nadine, you know, horse comes in, you help prepare the horse, you know, you help the rider, uh, you go to the horse shows, you coach the rider, they're part of the crew. Um, another one would be, you know, maybe we get a horse that's got some issues. So that's a whole other completely different situation altogether or maybe it's a horse that just comes in to get started again that's a little bit different so each one of those owners in my mind needs uh different support so so as an example if somebody is having an issue with a horse we can bring the horse here and sort our way through the issues because 
the horse basically learned how to do what he does that's undesired. He just learned how to do it. And so we can figure out how to help that horse through that. But if the owner isn't an active participant in us resolving the issue, so if we, we help the horse, send the horse home, the owner does exactly what they did before the horse came, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. That horse mm -hmm. is just going to start doing what it did before. Mm -hmm. So in that situation, it's critical that the owner can be an active participant, at least in the end of the training, for some sessions, not one a few mm -hmm. sessions to get familiar with, you know, how things have been done with the horse, what we did, the thought process, why we did this, that type of thing. And uh, you'll get way more value out of your training that way because then hopefully it'll stick. So that's, you know, that's a different perspective altogether. Yeah. You just brought up a good point. Like, you know, I think Nikki and I were coming at this from a performance like horse show point of view, but you're right. There's the other side where somebody sends their horse in and it's, they've have issues and it is important to have them a little more involved than, and, and that well, would we, mean they would have to be local, like closer to yeah, you, right? Or be willing to come on the weekends, you know, travel and come and stay and spend some time and ride and, you know, see the horse worked and see what we've done with them and then be an active participant in a few sessions and, you know, if they run into some issues, so we're there to help them through it, that kind of thing. Yeah, to me, so it's just, they, they get more value for their money. In the Maritimes, you see, like Ruben, for an example, all pretty well all he has is horse show horses. We don't have the numbers here. So, you know, we do end up taking some other horses, which is fine by me because I like some of that too. Keeps mm -hmm. a little bit of variety. And it keeps you sharp, honestly. The ones that, you know, have some things that have happened or... They've learned to do the wrong thing. Uh, you really got to use your head to actually even sometimes just to stay safe. So where you're taking on, you know, a couple different potential types of horses for whatever reason, what kind of conversation do you have with the owner and what do they share with you about the horse? Like what, what do we tell the trainer before you're going to ride the horse for the first time? You know, about what's um, the history, about the well, training, about that that's a good point there's different thought processes on that one is for me if it's something really dangerous i i really rather know other than that if it's just little training issues i'd rather not know because it changes how you approach a horse oh, you know right so we don't want to go in with a preconceived idea of what that horse is like i'd rather just go in and approach him like he's great okay i have to share something because i i love that as a teacher because my students used to come with a list of experience that other teachers have had with them. And I would refuse to read it unless it was something that I really needed to know about that student. I didn't read past teachers experiences because I wanted to know that child from the day they walked through my door, not based on the, you know, this person had this person's brother or sister and they did that. I didn't want to hear any of that and have it change how I perceived that child as yeah. their own person. Interesting. You and I, Dan, this week, we didn't really talk much about what I was feeling with my horse, but it wasn't really like a, this is exactly what I'm feeling. And you sent me a text, I think it was yesterday that you said, 
great ride. This is what I felt. And it was verbatim what I was hoping you were going to feel in order yes. for me to move forward. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Isn't that's that interesting. That's yeah, cool. Absolutely. I like that. Absolutely. But I think almost on a daily basis, sometimes it's hard to do, but you almost kind of have to start every day with each horse with a clean slate. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, and I've heard Nikki say this, you know, approach him like he's heavy and he will be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's just, you know, we're getting off track a little bit. But anyway, that's just something that's good to keep. In okay, mind. so because, you know, I probably neglected to do any of the things that I should have been doing, dropping my horse off at a trainer. But what conversation would you like to have with someone who's dropping their horse off for you, whether it be a show horse or otherwise, what conversation? If they're not a close friend like Nikki. <laughs> if they don't just drop them off and run like I did. Well, it's not like I don't know you or your horse, Nikki. So That's we're right. good. Well, I think again, to go back to, okay. And I always ask, what are your goals for your horse? And if they want it to win the reigning fraternity in, you know, the first 30 days, we know that's not going to happen. We probably need to have a conversation. Or if they just want a nice, quiet horse that they can trail ride or whatever, I like to know what the goals are for the horse. Because there's no point in me riding the horse um, and spending their money if I don't know what they want to accomplish with that horse. Mm -hmm. Because if I know what they want to accomplish, I can advise them on you know, it's a good idea to invest your money and, and, you know, get the horse trained more, that kind of thing. So I think that's really important. I like to know what their goals are for their horse. Um, Really the only behavior things I'd like to know if it's something like that's dangerous, Mm -hmm. like something that maybe flips over backwards or, you know what I mean? Just a heads up or something like, other than that, like just real regular little training issues like he throws his head in a little off them. I don't want to I don't want to know any of that do okay. you ask ahead of time if they have any vices like do you what if a horse cribs when he gets to your place I don't ask you just find out and it is what it is yeah 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 we keep them pretty like you know in the morning this time of year it's a little harder but um when the weather's suitable like they stay pretty busy like they're being ridden or they're turned out and that's the other thing I think it's important. It would. It's important for me, as an owner, that my horse gets treated like a horse if he's at somebody's facility. Mm-hmm. I don't really like them being treated like robots, and they never get out of their stall unless they're being ridden. Mm-hmm. So again, that goes back to your values. So if that's important to you, you probably should find that out beforehand rather than find out. You know, not everybody runs their program the same way. Um, so if, you know, if your horse being treated like a horse getting turned out and having a buddy and, you know, I think that's good for their mental well-being. Um, in the long run, I think, you know, they accept training better if they're happier. So if that's important to you, I guess, you know, that would be one of the questions I would ask having thought about it now. What should owners do to actually prepare their horse for training? You've accepted them. They're coming the first of March and, they're going there, yeah. let's yeah. say two months. Well, they, you know, they should be up to date on deworming vaccinations and teeth. <laughs> That's the first <laughs> thing I wrote down too. <laughs> teeth. And you know, there's a big difference between getting a horse's teeth done mm-hmm. and getting the horse's teeth done by somebody has a good understanding 
of how the horse's teeth are affected or how the teeth affect a riding horse that's mm -hmm. carrying a bit in his mouth. Mm -hmm. So to me, um, that's critical to get, have their, you know, dental work up to date by somebody that really has a good understanding of how the function of the bit affects their, you know, their teeth and how their float is. What about level of fitness? If the horse isn't fit, there's no question. Some of your money initially is going to go into getting the horse fit to the point exactly. where he can actually exert himself to the point where, you know, we can accomplish more. So, you know, now the only thing about that is say, for example, it's a horse that's coming in and maybe he's a bit of a problem child or the owner's having a problem. In that case, I'd rather they didn't continue to have issues and make the monster a little bigger, mm -hmm. not the horse, the problem. Mm -hmm. um, so in that case, I'd rather they just kind of took a time out and just left the horse alone. Mm -hmm. um, if it's a horse that's, you know, coming in for training and it's a horse show horse and it's coming in to be started or coming back to get tuned up for the season, I'd rather they were a little bit fit, ready to go to work. Mm -hmm. I think, I think that that makes sense, but I do think as long as there's an expectation, like the correct expectation on behalf of both the owner and the trainer, for example, so we just sent Mark's horse to Kempton down the road so that the whole goal here is for Mark to be able to have weekly lessons so that Mark is ready for the show. Okay. Mm -hmm. His horse is broke, but we gave his horse a good amount of time off because he came straight from the trainer for a good amount of time when we bought him horse showed and then rode for the fall. And then we just let left him off work for four months. So when he went to the trainer, I was like, look, he's not in shape, not in shape at all. Hasn't been ridden in months. Take it easy on him. Okay. Like don't yeah. go as long as, you, as long as you go in that, into that situation with that understanding. Yeah. And sometimes here nadine actually it's not an option like we've got two feet of snow on the ground right. unless you have an indoor arena how are you going to really get the horse fit mm -hmm. so um i guess the only thing about that is is just as long as you know the owners have an understanding that some of the time initially anyway it's going to be into just getting the horse's fitness level to a certain point yeah and i mean it's okay when the horse is like already trained and just needs to be tuned up like yep. you know what i mean like just yep. for the show and it's about more about the owner learning to ride and just getting mm -hmm. the horse back in shape. But if you're sending your horse and thinking, okay, he's got to be show ready in two months. Like that's a high expectation. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So the other thing is speaking of two months is to have realistic expectations mm -hmm. on let's not say timelines, but let's say the amount of money that you can afford to invest in the horse. Mm-hmm. So if you, you know, if you've got a cap on that and your cap equals two months training, um, he's not going to be ready to go to a horse show and show in the rain. And so I think it's important to have that conversation and be open and honest about it rather than just say, yeah, yeah. And then go in and, you know, really push the horse hard to try to get that done, knowing full well, that's probably going to be not that realistic. Mm -hmm. So I think again that goes back to what i said originally what are your goals and have an open honest discussion on you know whether the goals and 
the expectation on what they can afford or what they'd like to spend on the horse, hopefully they meet. Do you have a minimum amount of time that you will take a horse if you are starting it? 90 days. That's Preferably. Standard, is it? Yeah, well, I don't know, but I less than 90 days, I really think people are wasting their money. Mm-hmm. Because for that horse to get to the point where, you know, whatever you teach them, the behavior is somewhat automatic and maybe, you know, it, you can, you can get the horse home and, and do the things not perfectly, but the horse will respond anyway. They need at least 90 days to get those behaviors, just very basic stuff confirmed to the point where it's almost a little bit on autopilot. Now, none of them will stay trained. They'll level up to whatever level you ride them at, but um, they should at least, you know, have some real basic things that happen despite us, not because of us. <laughs> so they should stop, go, turn, you know, do those little things without the rider having to be, you know, in perfect position and give a perfect aid. Okay, Nikki. <laughs> <laughs> it looked like you had a question. Yeah, well, I do, but it's kind of off topic. That's okay. You can ask off topic questions. Well, so I guess like I'm... The, the thing is, is like, we've been to your facility, Dan. And so we know it's really nice. So we know that when a horse Thanks. goes to your place and like, we've sent our horse to you before and like, my God, I don't know how you grew like inches of mane on her in like a couple of months, <laughs> but, you know, they come back looking so nice. And I know you've got their manes and tails braided and you have a wash doll in there in an indoor arena. And so your facility is really nice. So I guess like, what do you think if we're being realistic that we know that not everybody does have access to all of that? Like, what do you think is important? You know, we don't have hot walkers here. We don't have the saltwater spas that they have out in Texas and things like that. But what is important for the trainer to have and what is important for them to be doing to the horses? Like, do they, does every horse get their mane and tail braided or is it just the show horses? You know, is that just your quality of care? I wouldn't say we braid every mane and tail, mostly, uh, honestly, just the show horses. But I mean, we look, they all get the same quality of care. There might be some specific things that we may do to the show horses that the other ones don't require. Example, you know, braid their mane. The quality of care is the same. We'll still keep their mane detangled and keep it clean and all that kind of thing. But it's, yeah, there, there might be some specific things that the show horse will, will get that the other one might not need. Mm-hmm. Right. Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. It does answer my question. And I think... And you said, what, what do they need? I didn't answer all of your question, though, did I? You said, what other things do the horses need? Uh, and do you mean like need as in like what sort of facilities do we need to be able to offer the things that the horses need that kind of thing you mean or yeah well I guess I'm just struggling with the fact of like I don't know how much it costs to send your horse to trainer in Texas okay that has like all the bells and whistles and everything included and you know that they're getting like You'll Ooh, find out just carry your them. first month, you'll get an itemized bill. <laughs> a long list. <laughs> right. And and so and, and then, they don't call either and ask you if you want it done. <laughs> right. Well, that's a good question, right? Like is is like, do they just you just send them down there and they just 
do all the things. If you, they think you need a chiropractor this week, you're getting a chiropractor and you're just going to get the bill later. Yeah. And again, Ruben and Melissa were excellent. It wasn't, uh, they aren't like over the top. And I trusted that if they said Mike uh, needed to go to the saltwater spa, he was going to the saltwater spa, going to the saltwater spa. Yeah. And so you're paying for each, they're just adding that onto your tab each time. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah. And so for you, if you bring in massage therapist or something, whatever, once a month or something, do you go reach out to the clients and say, do you want oh, yeah. your horse done? Or do you just say, oh yeah. Yeah. It's a little different situation. I would always get prior approval. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So with that, sorry, Nadine, did I get, no. yeah. No, no. Go ahead. with that, how did your experience with having a horse in training at that high of a level shape what you offer now in your own training business. I feel like maybe your standard of care is your standard of care because of like who you are and just your experience in the horse world. And so it wouldn't be any shock when you go to a barn in the States and their standard of care is very high because that is your expectation. I'm a little fussy. You're a lot fussy. <laughs> yeah. And, and honestly, that goes back to my grandfather. Mm-hmm. And that's where I get my passion for the horses. And I can remember even as a little kid being in this barn and there was nothing out of place. Mm-hmm. And the horses, I mean, the stalls were immaculate. The horses were, you know, groomed and well cared for. And it's just in my DNA, I guess, to me, that's part of the fun of it. Like I take a lot of pride in walking through the barn at night and seeing that. So that's just kind of how I'm wired. Mm-hmm. And I would have that expectation. Like I wouldn't have a horse somewhere if I went in on a consistent basis and the stalls were dirty. Just, mm-hmm. you know, because to me, how you do one thing mm-hmm. is how you I do it. And yeah, you can ask people that work for me. They hear that sermon all the time. and so the other thing that you know it's not it's not a requirement to have a trainer have all of their you know matching gear and everything like you know like you guys have or like some top level pros have you know but it is it's a nice touch and you seem to have just plenty of different bits to choose from plenty of different equipment to choose from do people bring their own things with their horse when they come? No, I don't want their own things. So each individual because, horse doesn't bring their yeah. own blanket when they and get And I home. don't mean that in, uh, to be disrespectful. I don't want to be responsible for their things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a lot going on here every day. And, and uh, if people leave their things, then, you know, we have to try to keep track of them and stuff like that. So really, basically, all I want is your horse and a halter and a lead. Preferably black. Preferably black. <laughs> and if it's not black, it'll be hung up in storage and you'll get it back when they come when you come get them. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so basically that's it. Just a halter and a lead. Um, you know, as far as all attack and all that, we have our own, you know, have all our own stuff. Of course, we want to ride in our own saddles. And Now, this is something that I've had experience with, and it's kind of an interesting conversation. And Dean and I have had this chat, too. So horses come in for training obviously you have multiple saddles because you're going to have different a lot of people who bring their horse for training are worried about the saddle fit so Mm -hmm. this is the only saddle i can find to fit my horse 
uh, do you mind if you ride my horse or my saddle or the other way around of like, I only have one saddle and I have a horse at home, so I can't send my saddle to you. Um, so how do you deal with saddle fit and having all of these, you have large horses, small horses, quarter horses, thoroughbreds, all the things. Yeah. Well, we, when they first come in, you know, we have lots of different saddles with different trees. So we try to, you know, pick the saddle that's suitable. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, uh, it hasn't been an issue. Um, so, you know, I don't know if we're just lucky that way, but that's typically what you run into, uh, down South too. They, you know, they just, they use what they have now there. It, you can run into unique situations here. For example, like if we get uh, warm blood in that wants to be started, you know, that's, you know, so we'll have to fit them a little bit different than, mm-hmm. than 40. <laughs> yeah. so we just have to keep that in mind but we you know we have enough different saddles and different trees that you know we really haven't had an issue that way mm-hmm. now if somebody came and they had been having a lot of trouble with their horse and you know they were really it was a real it was really important to them that we used their saddle provided it was you know reasonably decent quality saddle and rode good i have no problem with that but that's not it hasn't been an issue yeah we i mean we had one come in a month or so ago that the lady uh sent her own girth because she had some issue with the girth well that's fine i don't don't mind that yeah do you use the same girth from horse to horse you just like put on the saddle take off saddle yeah we keep them clean okay we always when i when i sent my horse i I was like here's a girth because i just assumed i was like i didn't assume i just i don't know i thought that maybe they switched them for each horse yeah, no, we have, well, we do. It depends on how big the horse is. We, we, every saddle, ne- the saddles never have the girths left on them. Okay. So when we grab a saddle, we pick out a girth that'll fit that horse. Okay. That makes That's sense. what we do. That's and we keep, and we keep, so, you know, one girth might be used on two or three different horses that day, but we keep them clean. Yeah. It's about the size, not yeah, about the. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And bit wise, you know, we, depending on the level of the horse is at and what's going on with the horse, we, you know, we have all kinds of different, whether it's snaffle bits or, you know, curb bridles or whatever, we have, you know, lots of selection. Well, you guys have seen it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's not an issue that way. So I'd really rather use my own gear. I'm more familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even the reins, I have a certain preference for the width that I like and the weight that I like with the reins and that kind of thing. So that that's what works best for me. Yeah. I think, I think being comfortable in the tack that you're using, especially when things are going less than optimally, you want to be able to reach for your horn or reach for your stirrups and know that they're there. Yeah. Um, not be in someone else's tack that feels unfamiliar yeah. in those sort of situations. We've had that. Exactly. Yeah. as well. Yep. Nadine, you looked like you were about to ask something. Well, no, you know what? I just, I think you just read my mind because I, maybe I was too expressive, but I thought of a question and then I was like, okay, I got to make sure I ask this eventually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I guess I was just like, oh yeah, because it didn't, it's not written down. How much time you mentioned earlier about how the team is a big part of it. And like, we know, we all know um, from being there, Kelly's a huge part of your team there, your wife. But also sometimes there are assistant trainers. Okay. There's people that help with the barn chores. And then there are also like assistant trainers that are there. 
do we need to ask as owners, like how often are the other people going to be riding my horse or like what portion of the time is someone else riding the horse versus a trainer mm -hmm. that we're paying? Yeah, I think that you should be comfortable with that. So uh, that's a good point. You should be, you know, if, if your horse is going into that situation and that's fairly normal, especially depending on what level your horse is at. Um, so a couple of things, number one, you, Hopefully you have a good enough rapport and trust your trainer enough to know that if they're going to have an assistant, that they're under your watchful eye and that they're competent enough or I wouldn't even put them on the horse. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't, you know, watch that person ride or ask those questions or even say, well, you know, I'd really rather you just rode the horse. That makes it a little complicated, honestly, from a daily operations point of view, because some days we might might just want to just, you know, keep the horse legged up or just work on guiding or, you know, just have a easy day. And then, you know, for two or three days, we might be working on maneuvers and we want to mentally let that horse down a little bit. And that's where, you know, an assistant that has good skills and a consistent way of doing things that is the same as what the trainer is that they're working for. I think that's important. You know, you don't have conflicting ways that you ask for things. Um, I think that can be a real benefit to the horse. That right? answered the question really well. I appreciate it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that happens here. Like, you know, I might work on a certain, certain two or three maneuvers to get the horse to try a little bit harder. Sometimes you have to help them learn how to learn under a little more pressure. And then you might say, okay, uh, Jenny, as an example, you know, I want you to just go cruise around on for a couple next two days, do some long trotting, just work on guiding, just chill out, walk around, you know, that kind of thing. Just mentally let, let them relax. Okay. I think that leads into the next question, which is communication. So what is ideal communication? I know you probably don't want me calling you every day like I have so far, <laughs> but <laughs> what is ideal communication look like for you as a trainer and what's typical? I think it depends on the individual. I really don't mind you calling me every day. <laughs> um, that's part of the way I like to do things because I like to work for people that I like. I think it really depends on the owner. Like when my horse was away at Rubens. I didn't really mind if I didn't hear from him for a while, whatever. If I wanted to know, I could just shoot him off a text or pick the phone up and call him. Usually it was just a text message or whatever. But I think that's a real individual preference. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think from your well, point of view? It's funny because I've listened to podcasts with Andrea Fapani and Casey Deary, like he had him on the podcast and there's such different personalities, right? And so Andrea has talked about publicly how he really struggles with communicating with his owners. Like he really just cares about the horse, wants to get the job done, doesn't really think a lot about communicating yeah. and sending videos. Honestly, and making calls. I could probably do that better to put more priority on that. I get busy being busy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh and the horses are my priority so i get so focused on what i'm doing with the horses i probably should discipline myself more to schedule time to communicate um and again it depends on the owner how often they want to talk or 
I'd rather they came and actually physically saw the horse, how the horse was going. Myself, personally, that's what I like. I'm not against talking on the phone or, you know, even sending a video or whatever, but. It probably depends on the reason that the horse is there too. Like Nikki's horse is going to go, like we all know, he's already just doing the thing. Like he's not learning anything new. In Wait turning- a minute. <laughs> I sent him there to be a jumping horse. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, if you were getting your horse started, okay, like first saddled and like going through those first 90 days, you'd probably yeah. be more interested sure. in like regular updates uh, and stuff. That's a really good point, Nadine. Some milestones like that yeah. are fun to share. And I do do that because I realize like like I worked a horse today a reigning mare that came in and, you know, it was my first session with her. So I have full intentions of either messaging them or calling them and kind of give them a blow by blow on how things went, how she accepted what I did mentally and all that kind of thing. Cause let's face it, people are excited to hear, mm-hmm. especially, you know, at first and, and mm-hmm. some of those milestones, like, you know, the first ride or the first saddling oh, and yeah. all that kind of thing. That's a very good point. And, and I, I totally agree. And I tried to share that kind of thing. And, and like Nikki said at the beginning, I think if the conversation is initiated at the beginning of, well, what do you expect or, or how often should I call? Like when I dropped Max off with Kempton, I was like, look, I'm going to try not to be annoying and message you every day. I haven't messaged him about the horse once. He's always mm-hmm. called me before I've even had a chance to think about what the horse is doing. So it's like, mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. And yeah. not only that, the first day he called me, he said, listen, I will usually call, not text. So I just want you to know that if I'm going to call, it's about something good, not about a panic emergency. So don't like mm-hmm. have a heart attack when you see my number come up. If it's yeah. something bad, I'll text you first to give you a heads up. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. I was like, oh man, that's yeah, really that's a good idea. nice. Yeah, that's yeah. a good idea. Because that happens a lot of times when they see the trainer's number come up, they're like, oh no. Yeah. Minor heart attack. Yeah. So just like took that right off the table and he's, you yeah. know, he just calls with like little updates or, you know, we're working on this or this seems a little tight and mm-hmm. very, very good communication. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that that is based on expectation of what each person thinks the other yeah. should do. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that's probably part of the initial conversation that should be included. Mm-hmm. What are your expectations that way? Yeah. Cause you know, people might be expecting more or less, or you mm-hmm. might put more of a priority on it and they don't need it or, you know, they would like more communication and you don't provide it. So I guess if you go in, with those expectations very clear and transparent saves any confusion that way for sure. Okay. What training and coaching services do you offer for people here in the Maritimes? Well, uh, you know, we'll start Colts and, you know, we'll take on an individual basis, depending on the circumstances. If, you know, if they need some help with a certain situation with a horse, that's not really what we, our specialty by any means, but, you know, we have done that from time to time. Um, mainly what we want to do is, uh, is the reining right from scratch, right to the finished horse and provide the coaching. You know, if you're like a non-pro or if you just have a horse that you want to get started and shown, we're more than happy to do that too. So our, our focus is on the reining for sure. Mm -hmm. And, and we do, uh, we have a stud too, that we stand 
and uh, we got some foals expected this year, first group of foals, so we're really looking forward to that. So we'll be starting some of those colts that are by our stud, uh, Booming Revolution, so we're looking forward to starting to ride some of them. So mainly our services, you know, are like starting rainers to getting them initially out and seasoned a little bit, you know, even just to go to the horse shows, um, you know, go to the raining rides that we go to through the summer, uh, right from that to getting the horse prepared, coaching at the horse show. We provide trailering. I mean, we can give you the princess package if that's what you want. Okay, so <laughs> I do have a question. I'm going to put you on the spot here. You for want because maybe package. I know Nikki. I highly recommend the princess package. Just <laughs> in case you're listening, it is fantastic. But I'm going to put you on the spot. Maybe you haven't even thought of this. Maybe you have. I feel like we've had this conversation. Let's say I am someone in the Maritimes who I have a horse that's capable of going to the reigning shows and. I don't want to go by myself and I just would really enjoy a little extra support. Yes. Can I call you and Absolutely. say, Dan, can I come up for a lesson Absolutely. and then have your yes. help at the show? Be more than happy to do it. Oh, Dan, this is your forte. Honestly, like you need to put a price <laughs> on that and stick that on your website. Like, yeah, we'd show be, I, I would, um, you know, we've had this conversation before, but it's to me, it's more than just about the horses. Mm-hmm. Like if I can support somebody at whatever level they're at and they can come be part of the team, go home feeling good about themselves and what they accomplished on the weekend. And, and, you know, it's good for the industry and it's good. Mm. It's good for the people that are involved. It's again. Yeah. I'd be I'm more than happy. We don't really promote that. Maybe we should. You should. Nikki, you should. Nikki, Nikki suggested that. Yeah. I mean, I'd be a gung ho to do that. Absolutely. Well, honestly, on another podcast, I asked a question similar to that to this trainer about, you know, people looking for horse show help. And, you know, she kind of mentioned that that is a difficult job for the trainer to do, especially if they don't know the horse and don't regularly coach that person. So to take a horse to a horse show, you know, show up stall together, even though you came separately and then hope to get some coaching when you're there, it is difficult. I mean, you've come through for us <laughs> at the horse show, not really ever having seen Mark or the horse ride and helped him out a lot right before the class. But like, mm-hmm. if you had a price and you just showed up there and people could help get help, then that's yeah, definitely. <clears throat> I think the only thing about that, you have to be careful. It doesn't take away from your main clientele. Mm-hmm. So if you get so busy that I haven't got time to go help Nikki before a class, that's no good either. Mm-hmm. So I would be absolutely interested on a case by case situation. All right. So we know that you offer the training and now you're going to be offering that service. That's fantastic to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, so I don't think we've mentioned actually it's Northrop quarter horses on Facebook and you guys have a website as well. So we want to make yeah. sure that people can find you on social media and and Get I'm on touch. there all the time. All the time. <laughs> all the time. Great. We really appreciate having you come on and chatting with us about well, thank all you things so much. training. Yeah. yeah, I really enjoy it. Hopefully we stayed somewhat on topic and I got some of your uh, questions answered and made things a little bit clearer. Absolutely you did. Yeah, no, it was fa- fabulous. Yeah.
Thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to send us some love is by sharing about Canada Horse Podcast with your friends, finding us on Instagram, and leaving a review is always appreciated. With your support of the show, you are making a positive impact on our horse world. Until next time. Right on, Canada.